You're listening to Women Making Waves on Cambridge 105 Radio. Professor Catherine Barnard is an expert on the legal aspects of Brexit. She is a senior tutor at Trinity College, Cambridge, and apart from having written numerous books, she does a podcast. Catherine talked to Linda about her life. Catherine Barnard is a legal scholar and professor of European and Employment Law at Trinity College, Cambridge, where she's the college's senior tutor. Catherine did her Master's in Law at Fitzwilliam and gained a PhD in Philosophy. She is a leading researcher working on the issues surrounding the Brexit negotiations. Catherine was elected a Fellow of Trinity College in 1996, has many published works, does a podcast and is often called upon by the media to talk about the legal implications of Brexit. Thank you for joining us on Women Making Waves today, Catherine. Now, you were born in Kent and moved to Belfast when you were young. What do you remember about your childhood there? being English in that really quite complex environment. I mean, I look back and I remember we spent time, every time we got into the car, um, we had to check whether there was a bomb placed <gasps> under the car. Wow. We had extraordinary security on the government house that we lived in. We had nine locks on the front door. And um, we also had broken glass net curtains in all the windows so the house we lived in was really spectacularly ugly (laughs) but also what I do remember is um, that Belfast itself or Northern Ireland itself was just beautiful Um, the Giants Causeway I still think is one of the most beautiful places on earth Um, and anyone who's not been there should really go and visit the North, North Northern Irish coast is just amazing Is it a place that you go back to still these days? Yes, not as often as I would like, but when I do go back, um, it's always a revelation because things have improved so much. I took my own children there a couple of years ago to go and see the Titanic Museum, which I must say is one of the best museums I've ever been to. It's absolutely magnificent. As you probably know, the Titanic was was built by Harlander Wharf um, in Belfast. And you really get a sense of what the luxury on the Titanic, but also the extraordinary conditions that the workers had to work in in order to actually build the Titanic. Wow. What, what did you want to do when you left the school? Was was law something that you were always interested in? or I think I had a, a burning sense of injustice as a child and I always thought um, law would be a way of resolving that. Of course, the longer you do law, the more you realise that the world is so much more complicated than your, than your 18-year-old self understood. <laughs> but, um, I mean, law is for someone like me is immensely rewarding I'm deeply pragmatic and actually I think quite a lot of English common law is deeply pragmatic I remember thinking about studying philosophy at university and when I met the um, potential teacher um, who asked me whether I was certain I was there or not I suddenly realised this is just not for me Um, (laughs) law is much more down to earth (laughs) and much more engaging and the fact my own son is now studying philosophy is a a good riposte to my own pragmatism (laughs) Now I was interested to read that uh, you wrote your dissertation on the European litigation strategy of the then Equal Opportunities Commission and how the EU law could be used to deliver greater equality to women. Is that a topic that's close to your heart? Yes, that's right. And I think um, 
this is for lawyers. That's always been the excitement about EU law, because EU law takes precedence over conflicting national law. And so for lawyers wanting to do social good, EU law presented an extraordinary way of trumping national regulatory regimes. Now, of course, that's the very reason why a lot of people voted Brexit, that they didn't like the fact that there was some out-of-state body, in other words, a court, the European Court of Justice, that was telling the UK what to do. Now, for lawyers who wanted to deliver social change, this was marvellous, but for lawyers um, and for um, just members of the public, um, who didn't like the fact that, that bodies from outside the UK were telling us what to do. You can see why they were very, they found the ECJ deeply unappealing. When you left university, you went on to work in academia. I'm always interested in why people make that choice. Was there never any inclination to join private practice, which is, you know, could be pretty lucrative in the long run as well? Yeah, that's true. Um, and uh, in fact, I can get the best of both worlds. So I really enjoy teaching. I enjoy, enjoy students. I enjoy watching them actually understand and make some of the connections that you know I was making at their age. Um, but also over the years, I've done advisory work for the government and for the EU. Um, I've done some involvement in practice as well. So actually, my life is pretty varied. Brexit, you mentioned a few minutes ago, and that must have almost taken over your life, I'm imagining. Has it been quite an exciting few years? It's been exciting. It's been challenging. It's been difficult. Um, I mean, certainly it's taken over my life. I remember when on the day after the referendum, my then very young daughter, um, I'd promised I'd spend the day with her because I'd been so preoccupied with Brexit in the run-up to the referendum. And I'd promised to spend the day with her because it was a teacher training day. And I couldn't um, because, of course, there was much interest in the outcome of the referendum. Mm-hmm. And she said to me, I'm so glad I'm going to get my mummy back um, now that the <laughs> referendum is over. But, of course, she was so completely wrong because, actually, I've probably been busier since the referendum than before. Yes, yes. That was the start, really, wasn't it, in yes, some indeed. respects? <laughs> now, you've written articles for The Guardian. You've appeared on Newsnight talking about Brexit. Do you think that people on both sides of the Brexit divide have let emotions win over common sense a lot of the time? Well, it's interesting. The organisation I've been involved with is called UK and a Changing Europe. And that organisation requires us to be non-partisan when we're talking about Brexit-related issues. And that's been really important both in the run-up to the referendum and in the period afterwards, right up until the moment when we actually did leave the European Union. And it's therefore required us to be quite measured in what we say and how we say it. And we spend a lot of time thinking about how to explain things in as non-partisan way as possible. Now, it's certainly true that on both sides of the debate, there have been some very vociferous um, proponents and opponents of what's been going on. But we have been asked and called upon both by broadcasters, but also the government, to try and find a way through to explain what's going on in the most unbiased way possible. And this has been quite a challenge for me as an academic. It's made me think quite long and hard about my subject. But it's also made me think long and hard about how to present things um, to a non-expert audience as clearly as possible, as simply as possible. I mean, it's also actually introduced me to a very different way of doing social science, because it means I've learned about blogging, I've learned about 
social media. I've learned about different ways of engaging with the public. And from that point of view, it has been stimulating and interesting and at times absolutely exhausting. I can imagine. I think you've done that very well because I know that you've been on the radio with me and you've been explaining Brexit and I, it, it clarified things very nicely. So I think you've managed to do that very, very well. It's kind of you to say it may be the years of teaching, actually, teaching undergraduates does force you to try and think about how to explain complex ideas in quite a simple language, not necessarily to make the ideas simpler, but I don't think it helps anyone to try and explain complex things in a complex way. No, when ideas are new, certainly. Now, women working in the legal sector, that's, I think, of interest to you as well, I believe. Having worked in... Having worked in it myself, I can see a marked improvement in the number of women lawyers and partners, certainly since the 70s. Of course, it it has got a lot better. And firms have recognised that in order to carry on employing excellent women, they need to make their work practices better. Now, a lot of firms still don't deliver that very well. And there's still quite a drop off rate of um, women in their late 20s, early 30s, which coincides with them having maybe their first child and more often their second child. Mm -hmm. But certainly firms are becoming much more willing to um, allow women to work from home. And uh, paradoxically, it may be that the uh, one very slim silver lining of the coronavirus challenge that we're experiencing at the moment is that so many more of us are going to have to learn how to work from home and work effectively that actually it will become the new norm and so actually both men and women will work from home more often. That's really interesting that you say that because we were talking about that at work today exactly the same. I think this is going to cause a massive shift in the way that things are done actually. I know. I, th- I think that's right. And even in wearing my university hat, um, we've long taught in a very standard way, small group teaching, groups of two or three plus big lectures. But I think given that um, so much more is going to have to be delivered online over the next couple of months, I think people are going to have to learn very fast um, how what technology is out there and how it can be used most effectively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I do. I think it will change things. Now, Professor Dame Sally Davies is the first women master of Trinity College. Do you feel that having women in senior positions in academia has changed the way that things are done? I think so. I think um, I think it's more complicated than just saying having a woman master is good, having a male master is, is, is bad. Because I think um, there is a generational shift and certainly... I've been in academia a long time now and some of my greatest supporters have been men so I think it's 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 a, a more more complex than that just simple binary men are bad women are good quite the contrary but I think actually having Sally Davis who as you know is the ex chief medical officer um in such a prominent position um with her years of experience in the public sector um, and actually bringing some fresh insight from outside has been really very good indeed for the college. Yes, it must be quite interesting working with her at the moment, actually, with the with the coronavirus. She must have opinions on that, presumably. She does. Um, I mean, obviously, she's very supportive of her successor, but she obviously was the woman who had written a lot of the contingency plans and signed them off last year. So she has a deeper knowledge about what may or may not happen than the rest of us. 
Now, you've written how many? 12 books, I think? Oh, t- t- too many. Plen- too plenty, many. To, 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 plenty to cure those with insomnia. <laughs> Where do you find the time? <laughs> Middle of the night. Really? Yes, true. <laughs> you, you do, are you one of these people that, that stays up really, really late? Yeah, or I get up, increasingly I get up very early. But whatever, either way, it's, it's fitted in amongst all sorts of other things. And what are your hobbies when 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 you have time? <laughs> hobbies is something I'm really I, I I struggle with a bit, but I've got three kids and I take huge huge pleasure in being with them. They're all very keen footballers, so I spend a lot of Saturday mornings and Sunday mornings standing on cold touch lines watching the local football team. That I don't envy you. (laughs) (laughs) Catherine Barnard, thank you very, very much for joining us today on Women Making Waves. It's been a pleasure talking to you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for your time. enjoyed talking to Catherine. I've actually met her two or three times before because she's been in doing radio shows with me talking about Brexit. I always find her really, really interesting. What I love about her is that she's very measured when she's talking about, you know, quite emotive things like Brexit. It's her area of expertise. Mm. I thought what was really interesting was she was on the panel on Newsnight And she was actually applauded for being the most sensible person in the room by lots of people on Twitter, which made me smile because she she did sound like she was. But that's interesting, applauded for being probably honest as well. And that's what people are looking Mm. for, isn't it? Well, well, she was actually giving the facts. Yeah. And because she she's well. I'm not saying she's not one side or the other. I don't. I don't know. But her view is very down the middle because she's just dealing with facts, not emotions. I liked talking to her about Brexit for that very reason because you know, unemotional about yeah. it. And her past, her growing up in Northern Ireland, is as equally as fascinating and mm. also total respect for her as well. But what she had been going through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think because of the work that her father did, you know, it was it, it was probably quite quite a dangerous dangerous place to be. But she really loves Ireland. You know, she's saying she goes back when she can. She finds it a very beautiful place. I've never been to Northern Ireland actually. Have you, Susie? I've been to Southern Ireland, but yeah. not Northern Ireland. No, I've only been to Southern Ireland. I'd love to go to Northern Ireland. It's something mm. that I'd like to do. But I, I'm I'm always in awe of people that have grown up in a sort of a trauma place but seen the beauty of a place as well. And I find that wonderful to be able to recognise and do at the same time because what Northern Ireland went through in those days is, is phenomenal. Oh, it must have been incredibly difficult. But I think as a child, you probably focus on other things. You know, you've got your schoolwork and your friends to focus on and everything else just becomes part of everyday life. Mm. A little bit like this COVID-19 thing, you know, I think the kids will probably adapt to it quite quickly because they, they just, they adapt to things very, very readily. And I can imagine she's a very good tutor. I would, uh, if I were doing law, I would certainly like to be tutored by, by Catherine. She's great. You're listening to Women Making Waves on Cambridge 105 Radio. Mm-hmm.